All right, well, we're there in 2 Samuel chapter number 2, and before I can really kind of get into the sermon tonight, I need to kind of just lay a little bit of a foundation. A lot has changed in this chapter from what we've seen David and Saul, of course, Saul recently died, and we saw that, and uh, so let's, let's kind of walk through a little bit of it, then I'm going to give you some uh, points tonight in regards to the things that we can learn from this chapter. Look down at verse number 1. I want you to notice David in this chapter is an, an anointed king. Remember, we saw many years ago in, the, in 1 Samuel, David was anointed by Samuel to be king. Now David is anointed king, but not over the entire nation of Israel, only over the southern kingdom of Judah or the southern tribe of Judah. And I want you to notice the first, the first thing just by way of introduction, I'd like you to notice David is now right with God, okay? David is now, he was living with the Philistines, he was backslidden for a while, but he got right with the Lord. And I want you to notice the first thing, David exemplifies prayer in a Christian's life. Notice verse 1, and it came to pass after this that David inquired of the Lord. And you notice, you'll find that a lot in the life of David, that he inquired of the Lord. And you know, so often we forget about the power of prayer, but it would benefit us if we could just remember to go to God in prayer for the things that we need. Whenever we have a question, whenever we have a dilemma, whenever we're not sure what the next step should be, it seems like the last thing we do is pray. But the difference between us, or maybe you know, someone that doesn't really see the power of God like David does, and, 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 and a man like David, who uh, the Bible describes as being a man after God's own heart, is that the first thing he did, the first thought that came to his mind was to ask the Lord. Again, verse 1, and it came to pass after this, that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said unto him, Go up. And David said, Whither shall I go up? And he said, unto Hebron. So he's in, remember, he's living with the Philistines. He says, should I go back? Should I go back to the land? And, and should I go uh, uh, to the cities of Judah? That's where David's from, from the tribe of Judah. And God says, go. And he says, well, where? Whither shall I go? And he tells him, go to Hebron. Notice verse 2. So David went up hither, and his two wives also, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, Nabal's wife, the Carmelite. And his men that were with him did David bring up every man with his household, and they dwelt in the cities of Hebron. I want you to notice that not only does David exemplify prayer, but David also exemplifies patience. Now remember, this whole time, he's been anointed king of Israel. This whole time, he's been waiting to become the king, and he's been going through a lot of trials and tribulations to get there. And now, it's so close, and yet we still notice that he doesn't push the issue. He doesn't try to move the hand of God. He prays, and then he waits. He's patient in prayer. Notice verse 4, and the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king. Now look, they came and anointed him king. He didn't walk in and say, you know, God, Samuel anointed me king. Everyone knows it. Saul knew it. Saul's dead. Now I'm king. No, he, he goes and does what God told him to go to do. He goes to Judah. He goes to Hebron. But then the men of Judah, they came. And voluntarily, they, there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. And they told David, saying, that the men of Jabesh Gilead were by uh, were they that buried Saul. And by the way, the anointing represents the Holy Spirit's power coming upon David. Remember when he was anointed in First Samuel, the Bible tells us when he is physically anointed with the oil, that the Holy Spirit of God came upon him. And here, there's a great picture of the anoint. David is anointed again, and then he will be anointed yet again king when he's when he's anointed king over the entire nation of Israel. And that's a good picture for us. Look, it's not enough to just get the power of God in our lives one time. 
time. You know, there was one season in our life when we were really right with God and we could tell that the power of God was on us. But we should be like David, constantly going for that renewal, constantly being anointed by the Holy Spirit of God. Notice verse 4. Not only does David exemplify prayer, not only does he exemplify patience, but David also exemplifies politeness. Notice verse 4. And the men of Judah came... And there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. And they told David, saying, The men of Jabesh-Gilead were they that buried Saul. Remember Saul? They cut off his head and they were abusing his body. And the men of Jabesh-Gilead went and they basically rescued his body. His corpse was already dead. And they gave him a proper burial. And now they're being told, David's being told that these were the men who performed this task. Notice verse 5. And David sent messengers unto the men of Jabesh-Gilead and said unto them, Blessed be ye of the Lord. He gives them a blessing. He thanks them. He says that ye have showed kindness unto your Lord, even unto Saul. Now remember, Saul was David's enemy. But now that David is king... He is thanking them for properly taking care of the last king. He said, Blessed be you, Lord, that ye have showed this kindness unto your Lord, even unto Saul, and have buried him. And now the Lord show kindness and truth unto you. And I also will requite. That word means to return the favor. He said, I also will requite you this kindness because you have done this thing. Therefore now let your hands be strengthened and be valiant, for your master Saul is dead, and also the house of Judah have anointed me king over them. And listen, David was now king, but he wasn't too high and lifted up in himself to write a thank you card. You know what I mean? He wasn't too high to, to give, uh, to, to be grateful and be polite. And, and this is something I'm not preaching. I'm just kind of giving you a little bit of, a, of an outline, uh, just laying the foundation. We're going to do a sermon in a minute. But being, you know, chivalry is truly dead. And being polite is, is, is just an, an art that is dead in America today. But you know, you and I ought to try to be polite and kind and respectful. And we ought to try to uh, raise our children. You know, you, and look, I'm preaching this and, and my kids fail from time. You know, they're not, I'm not sitting here saying my children are perfect. We're training them. But we all ought to be training. You know, we ought to train our children to say, to respond, yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Recently, the, the Usher family gave our kids a, a, a gift, and we had our kids write them out a thank you card. So, oh, well, they're only eight and six. Yeah, but we're trying to train them, even at a young age, to be grateful, to be thankful. People don't have to do nice things for you. They choose to do nice things for you It'd be out of the kindness of their heart. And we need to, you know, train your children when they receive something to say thank you. Now, look, sometimes it's, it embarrasses you, right? You tell your kid to say thank you, and they don't. You got to spank them then, you know. But that's part of the training process. That's part. And some, some of you are like, well, I, I don't, I don't want to put my kid in that position because they're going to embarrass me, and I don't want to have to spank him. Shame on you, you know. That's the goal is to train them, to help them, you know, to be polite, to be kind, to, to respond properly. And here we see David setting an example. As a king, he's being polite and he's gracious. He's being grateful. And look, our, my, my kids don't say thank you all the time or don't do everything they're supposed to but we're trying to train them down that road. We're trying to help them to go down that place. So we see David exemplifying prayer. We see him exemplifying patience. We see him exemplifying politeness as he is anointed king over Judah. Now notice, he's anointed king over Judah, but there's another king who's anointed king over the nation of Israel. Look at verse 8. But Abner... This is Saul's general, the son of Ner, captain of Saul's host, 
took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanaim and made him king over Gilead and over the Asherites and over Jezreel and over Ephraim and over Benjamin, and don't, don't miss this, and over all Israel. So basically you have this divided kingdom. Now, David will unite the kingdom and uh, his son Solomon will reign over the United Kingdom. And then after that, the kingdom will divide again between the southern and the northern kingdom. But here at the beginning of David's reign, it's a divided kingdom. It's the southern kingdom is David. He's reigning over them. And then you have Ishbosheth, who Abner made king over all Israel. Notice verse 10. Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel and reigned two years. And the house of Judah followed David in the time that David was king. And Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. So you need to understand things have changed, right? Because we're used to Saul is king. David is running for his life. Now the, 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 the stage has changed. Now you've got David who's king over the southern kingdom of Israel. And you've got Ishbosheth for a while who's king over the northern nation of Israel. You've got Abner and then you've got Joab. I want you to understand the characters in this, in this plot, okay? Skip down to verse number 26. We're about getting ready to get into the sermon, but, but I just want you to understand and get a foundation for what's going on. 2 Samuel chapter number 2, verse number 26. Notice what the Bible says. Then Abner called to Joab. Now, we're going to get back to this in a minute in its context. I just want you to see those names. Abner is the general of the northern army, the captain of the host. He is the general on the part of Ishbosheth. Then you've got Joab, who's the general or the the captain of the host, what the Bible calls him. You and I would consider him a general of the southern army. He works for David, all right? These are uh, characters in in this plot. We're going to come back to verse 26 here in a minute, but I want you to go up to verse number 18. Let me show you a couple of more characters. 2 Samuel chapter 2, look at verse number 18. And there were three sons of Zeruiah there, Joab, we already talked about him, he's the general, and Abishai, and Asahel, and Asahel was as light of foot as a wild rose. So I want you to understand who we're talking about in these stories. Okay, you got David, king of Judah. You got Joab, who's David's general. You've got Ishbosheth, who's the king of Israel for now. You've got Abner, who's the general for Ishbosheth. You've got Abishai, who's one of uh, is who's one of David's mighty men. I don't have time to develop that. You can study that on your own. Yeah, we'll look at it at, at some point. I'm sure David had this group of mighty warriors that did amazing things, and Abishai is one of those mighty men, and he's the brother of Joab, right? Who is David's general. Then you've got Asahel, who's also one of David's mighty men, and he's also brother to Joab. So I want you to kind of understand that's what we're talking about. Now, let me explain to you this chapter, what it's really dealing with. Go back to 2 Samuel chapter 2. Look at verse number 26 again. 2 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 26. The Bible says, Then Abner called to Joab and said, Shall the sword devour forever? Knowest thou not that it will be bitterness in the latter end? And how long shall it be then, ere thou bid the people return? And we're going to get back to this verse in its context, okay? But I want you to notice this phrase where he says, From following their brethren. Do you see that? This chapter in the Bible, and here for a little bit, we're going to be talking about not God's people fighting, you know, the enemies of God, but it's about God's people fighting God's people. It's about brethren fighting brethren. It's about, it's a civil war. It's the southern kingdom versus the northern kingdom. But these are all brethren. 
These are all God's people. These are all people that Moses brought out of Israel, you know, their fathers. And these are people that God created a nation and God did order them to fight, but not each other. He ordered them to fight the heathen. He ordered them to fight those that hate God. But now they have, you know, changed those roles and they are fighting each other. And we've got brethren. We're talking about, you know, in today's terminology, it'd be Christians. And I'm not talking about like a, a, a liberal, unsaved, you know, uh, Christian. I'm talking about another brother in Christ, someone who's saved, you know, who believes in salvation the way you and I do, someone in our own church fighting each other when brethren fight. And I believe there are three lessons we can learn from this chapter. I want to give you three lessons in regards to this idea. When brethren fight, when brethren fight, Number one, I'd like you to notice in verse number 12, we kind of laid a little bit of foundation, caught you up with all the changes. It changed rapidly here in verse 2. I'd like you to notice verse 12 says, And Abner, I remember who's Abner? He's the general of the northern kingdom. And Abner, the son of Ner, that's a dumb name, I, I get that. And, and the servants of Ishbosheth, that's not much better, the son of Saul, went out from Menahem. Uh, Mahanaim to Gibeon, verse 13, and Joab, that's the general of David, the son of Zeruiah, the servant and the servants of David, went out and met together by the pool of Gibeon, and they sat down, the one on the one side of the pool and the other on the other side of the pool. Now, I want you to understand what's going on here. You've got Abner going with some of the servants of Ishbosheth, so he's got a little gang with him. And some of the men of his army. And then you've got Joab, and he's got some of the servants of David. And they just happen to meet at this pool, you know, this, this place of water. They're kind of hanging out there, one on the other side, one on the other side. You know, it's like West Side Story, right? You know, it's like these gangs are just coming together. I mean, we you know, without the, the, the snapping and the dancing. But, you know, you've got these gangs, and they're just kind of meeting here. They're hanging out here, probably calling each other names or whatever. Now, notice verse 14. And Abner said to Joab, let the young men now arise and play before us. And Joab said, let them arise. Now, I want you to understand what's going on here. And we've seen this elsewhere in Scripture. Basically, they realize that these are their brethren. These are God's people. They don't necessarily want to fight each other because they're fighting. Uh, when they kill each other, they're weakening their nation. You know, They still got the Philistines out there. They still got the Moabites out there. They still got God's enemies out there that they have to watch out for. So what they decide to do is they say, hey, instead of us fighting each other and all these people dying, why don't we just have 12 guys fight 12 guys? And whoever wins, you know, basically they win the war, and that way not everybody has to fight, not everybody has to get hurt. Now, this has happened before. Remember when the Israelites were fighting the Philistines? And they said, instead of all of us going out into battle, why, doesn't, why don't you guys choose a champion from the Philistines, and then you choose a champion from the Israelites? We'll have them duke it out, and then whoever wins will serve the other. And, of course, the Philistines chose who? Goliath. Right, And then none of the Israelites wanted to fight until David stepped up. And of course, did they keep that deal? No. Once David killed Goliath, they ran. You know, and, then, but in, and it was a battle anyway, and it's similar here. But basically, that's what they're doing. They're not, they don't want to fight. 
You know, this civil war, so they said, hey, 12 of our guys will take on 12 of your guys, and whoever wins, let's, you know, let's see what happens. Notice, he, notice verse 14, and Abner said to Joab, let the young men now arise and play before us. And Joab said, let them arise. Verse 15, then there arose and went over by number, notice, 12 of, of Benjamin, which pertained to Ishbosheth, that's the northern kingdom, uh, the son of Saul, and 12 of the servants of David, that's Judah. Notice verse 16. And they caught everyone his fellow by the head. Basically, I don't, you know, they're like in mutual headlocks. You know, they're all just grabbed each other by the head and thrust his sword in his fellow's side. So not only did they mutually, you know, headlock each other, but then they mutually each grabbed their sword and stabbed each other. Notice, so they fell down together. Wherefore, the place was called Helkath has Urim, which is in Gibeon. Here's what I understand. They said, hey, you know what? Let's make that, make this real bloody type thing. Let's just have 12 of your guys take on 12 of our guys. And whoever's left standing, we'll call it good. And they said, all right, let's do that. So 12 guys go into this fight. And guess what? You know, 12 guys plus 12 guys. You got 24 guys fighting each other. And guess what happens? 24 guys die. Say, so, well, what can we learn from this? Number one, I'd like you to notice, when brethren fight each other, Everyone loses. When brethren fight each other, no one wins. In church, as churches grow, people, you know, we have all different types of personalities and, and they don't necessarily click all of the time. And there are people that annoy you. And look, there are people that annoy me in our church. And I'm sure I annoy a lot of you, you know. And, and, and there are personalities that clash and, and things, you know. But here's the thing. God set us here. And here's what I want you to say. When brethren fight each other, no one wins. They said, well, well, 12 guys will fight 12 guys and whoever wins. But here's the problem. No one wins. And I think God's trying to explain to us and God's trying to teach us that when you're on the same side and you're fighting each other, there's no, nothing good comes from that. Nothing of profit comes from that. All it is is everyone loses. Let me show it to you in the New Testament. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. Keep your finger there in 2 Samuel chapter number 2. We're going to come back to it. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. Look at verse number 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In the book of 1 Corinthians, you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. And do me a favor, when you get to 1 Corinthians, keep your place there or a bulletin there or a ribbon there or something there because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. Look at verse number 10. Notice what the Apostle Paul says. He says, now I beseech you. You say, well, we're not, you know, we're not fighting. We're not in a civil war. Let's bring it down to out where we live, you know, church life. 1 Corinthians is a letter written to a church at Corinth. Notice what Paul said. He said, now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing and that, notice, there be no divisions among you but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the in same judgment. Look at verse 11. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe. And by the way, let me say this. The house of Chloe are not snitches. The house of Chloe are not, you know, oh, well, they're just trying to cause problems. The house of Chloe is going to the man of God, Paul, and saying, hey, there's a problem here. And by the way, I'd appreciate it if there are issues within the church. You know, it's funny. People, there'll be problems. Problems will blow up at our church. And people will come to me and my wife and we'll be like, whoa, I didn't know that. And everybody's like, oh, well, the reason I didn't tell you is because I thought you knew. Well, you're the pastor. I thought you knew. And it's like, and here's the thing. If everybody just assumes that we know and nobody actually tells us, guess what? We don't know anything. We're always the last ones to find out about everything, you know, me and my wife. And I think usually that's on purpose. 
But look, you ought to strive to be a Chloe. I'm not talking about being a snitch or whatever. But look, if there's an issue going on, bring it to my attention. You know, let me know. Things, things happen, and then it's like, oh, all these 13 people are involved. And I'm like, none of them said, hey, pastor, you might want to know. You know, there are some issues. Here you have, notice verse 11. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe. Hey, thank God for the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. This is just the New Testament version of, I'm of David, and I'm of Ishbosheth. You know, these are people fighting, and I'm for this guy, and I'm for that guy. And even within churches, there can be cliques, and there can be, you know, groups, and there can be, well, I'm for so-and-so, and I'm for this person, I'm for that person. Notice what he says in verse 13. He says, is Christ divided? He said, was Paul? You know, and he's using himself as an example, but you can put whatever name in there. Was Paul? Was Apollos? Was Cephas? Whoever your favorite is, whoever your guy you're pulling for, was he crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? He says, look, Christ isn't divided. If I'm in Christ and you're in Christ, we ought not be at odds with each other. We ought not be fighting each other. Keep your place in 1 Corinthians. Go to the book of Philippians. 1 Corinthians, you're going to go past 2 Corinthians, uh, past Galatians, Ephesians, into the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter number 1. Philippians chapter number 1. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible in regards to church life. Philippians chapter 1, look at verse number 27. Philippians 1, 27. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast, notice, notice this terminology, in one spirit, with one mind, speaking about unity, he says that you stand fast in one spirit and one mind. Notice, striving. Now, the word striving has multiple meanings. It means to work, but it can also mean to fight. Notice what he says, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Let me explain something to you. If we are striving against each other, then we're not striving together for the faith of the gospel. If we develop in our church these little cliques, these little groups, these little, well, you know, uh, so-and-so is my spiritual leader, or so-and-so is my leader, I'm, in, I, I'm for so-and-so, and I don't think, you know, this should be going on. And if we allow that to creep into this church and we start being against each other, and there's just people I don't talk to, and there's just people I stay away from. And there's just people, you know, I'm not for them, and I hope they'd leave. Look, if we allow that, here's the problem. If we're fighting each other, no one wins. You know, the only person that wins is Satan. Because here's the issue. When we're fighting each other, we're not fighting Satan. When we're fighting each other, we're not fighting the world. When we're fighting each other, we're not fighting the flesh. When we're fighting each other, we're fighting the wrong flesh. Instead of fighting our own flesh, you know, we're fighting another person. And here's, and here's the problem. We're supposed to be striving together for the faith of the gospel. And the, the Bible is teaching us here that, in, that when brethren fight each other, no one wins. Nothing profitable comes from it. Nothing is advanced. Because remember, when we ended the book of 1 Samuel, who has now conquered the land? The Philistines. Guess what? While David is fighting Ishbosheth, the Philistines are sitting comfortably. Because no one's fighting them. Because things are good for the Philistines. As long as God's people are fighting each other. What can we learn from this passage? We can learn this. Look, if we're striving against each other, we're not striving together. And when brethren fight brethren, everyone loses. 
When brethren fight brethren, nobody wins. They say, well, well, our 12 guys fight your 12 guys. And whoever wins, there's a problem with that. When brethren fight each other, no one wins. Go back to first, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 2, look at verse 17. 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 17. We saw number one, when brethren fight brethren, everyone loses. Number two, I'd like you to notice, when brethren fight brethren, grudges are formed. When brethren fight brethren... Grudges are formed. Are you there in 2 Samuel chapter 2? Look at verse 17. Notice what the Bible says. And there was a very sore battle that day. So here's the thing. They, they said, let's have our 12 guys fight your 12 guys so we don't have to fight each other. All 12 guys killed each other. So then they end up fighting anyway. And it's a pretty bad fight. Just like David and Goliath, right? The fight went on anyway. Look at verse 17. And there was a very sore battle that day. And Abner was beaten. And the men of Israel before the servants of David... And there were three sons of Zeruiah there, Joab and Abishai and Asahel. And Asahel was as light a foot as a wild roe, meaning he was a very fast runner. Notice verse 19. And Asahel pursued after Abner. Abner's the leader, right? Asahel's thinking, if I can kill Abner, we'll end this thing right now, right? So he's running after Abner. I want you to get this, this story and get what's going on here, okay? And Asahel pursued after Abner... And in going, he turned not to the right hand nor to the left from following Abner. So Abner, he knows someone is following him. He knows someone's chasing him, right? So Abner is doing his little, you know, football. You know, he's going this way and he's going that way. And he can't, he can't lose Asahel, right? He, he turned not to the right hand nor to the left from following Abner. He couldn't shake him. Notice verse 20. Then Abner, some of you used to do that when you were young. Look at verse 20. Then Abner looked behind him. Now keep in mind, this is why he's running. And they're not running like I'm jogging. They're running like for my life, right? Like I'm, and I, I was just leading a battle that lost. And now this guy wants to kill me. And Abner looked behind him. So he's running and he looks back to see who's this guy chasing me anyway. And he recognizes him and said, Art thou Asahel? And he answered, As Asahel is running, I am. And Abner said to him, Turn thee aside to the right hand or to the left and lay hold on one of the young men and take his armor. As they're running, he says, Look, quit chasing me, there's all these young men, there's all these dead bodies, turn aside, grab one of their armors, grab some of their stuff, you know, get some of their spoil. But Asahel would not turn aside from following him. He's, they're running and he's like, hey, quit chasing me, all right? Why don't you go just get one of these other guys? But he wouldn't stop. Look at verse two, 22. And Abner said unto Asahel, turn thee aside from following me. And notice what he says, Wherefore should I smite thee to the ground? Because here's what Abner knows. Abner is a pretty tough guy. And Abner knows, once he realizes who it is, he's, he realizes, I can take this guy. But he doesn't want to kill him because he's Joab's brother. Notice, and Abner said to Asahel, Turn thee aside from following me. Wherefore should I smite thee to the ground? How then should I hold my face to Joab thy brother? He said, look, how am I going to look at your brother in the face if I kill you? All right, so just quit chasing me. This is not a good thing for you to do. Notice verse 23. Howbeit he, Asahel, refused to turn aside. Now, look, you know, people say the Bible's boring. The Bible, this is an interesting book. These guys are running and they're having this conversation. And, hey, you know, I don't want to have to kill you because I don't want to have to look your brother in the eye. And he just refused to turn aside, verse 23. Wherefore, notice what happens. Abner with the hinder and the spear smote him under the fifth rib. So here's what happened. They're in a full-fledged, you know, run. He's telling him, quit chasing me. You're not, it's not going to come out well for you. Quit following me. I don't want to have to look at your brother in the eye. And he won't listen. He won't listen. So here's what Abner does. He comes to a complete stop, takes his spear, and just 
turns it back. And of course, Asahel is running and just runs straight into that spear. Notice verse 23 again. Habi, he refused to turn aside. Wherefore, Abner, with the hinder and the spear, smote him under the fifth rib. I want you to remember that. Smote him under the fifth rib. Now, I don't think he did that on purpose. I think he just stabbed him, and he just happened to go under the fifth rib. Notice that the spear came out behind him. So completely thrust him through. The, uh, the other end of the spear comes out behind him. And he fell down there and died in the same place. And it came to pass that as many as came to the place where Asahel fell down and died, stood still. Now I want you to understand something. Asahel was not just some guy. He wasn't just some soldier. He was one of David's mighty men. And he was Joab's brother. And I want you to, and, and I don't really have time to develop this. I just want to give you a preview of, of things to come. But go to 2 Samuel chapter 3 and look at verse number 27. Abner eventually turns to the side of David and becomes an ally to David. But when he does so, Joab takes revenge. 2 Samuel chapter 3, look at verse number 27. Notice what the Bible says. And when Abner was returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside in the gate to speak with him quietly. Abner, Joab goes to Abner and says, hey, I wanted to talk to you about something. And they go somewhere by themselves. And notice what the Bible says. And, he, and smote him there, notice, under the fifth rib. Same place that he killed his brother. And he died for the blood of Asahel, his brother. You know what happens when brethren fight? Grudges are formed. At, Joab never let this go. And you say, well, it wasn't really Abner's fault. I mean, he warned him, and he kept telling him. But here's the thing. When brethren fight, no one wins. And when brethren fight, what, you say, well, I, I, you know, I, I, I told him. I told him he better back off. I told him what was going to happen. I told him he shouldn't mess with me. I, to, I gave him all the wins. Listen to me. When brethren fight, not only does nothing good come as a result of it, but grudges are formed. And often grudges like, will not be forgiven. And notice, I didn't say cannot be forgiven. But they will not be forgiven. Look, we should be very careful not to offend. And we should do our best not to offend. Keep your finger there in 2 Samuel. Go to the book of Proverbs. You're in 2 Samuel. You're going to go past 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs. You can find the book of Psalms right in the center of the Bible. Right next to that, you got the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter number 18. Look at verse number 19. We should be careful not to offend people. And we should try not to offend people. Proverbs 18, 19 says this, a brother offended, notice, a brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. Look, you offend a brother, whether it's physically or in Christ, people take it harder than they would just offense from a stranger. A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city, and their contentions are like the bars of a castle. Even when Abner, you know, Abner wasn't trying to Hurt Joab. In fact, he warned him and said, I don't want to have to look your brother in the eye. And even when Abner turned to the side of David, Joab would not let go what went on between Asahel and Abner. He was a brother offended. Now, let, let me go ahead and say this. Go, go, go to the book of Psalm. Just one book over. We're going to come right back to Proverbs in a minute. But go to Psalm 119. And I'd like you to look at verse number 165. Let me, let me make a couple of statements. Number one, we should be careful not to offend people, and we should be careful to try to not offend people. And I'm shocked at just, man, you know, going back to this thing about being polite, I mean, people, were, people are raised to just be rude. 
And I mean, it's very difficult. I've noticed as a pastor, it's very difficult to try to train a 30-year-old or a 35-year-old or a 40-year-old to not be, you know, a jerk or to not be arrogant or to not be, you know, just everything that comes out of your mouth is offensive. So you got to do it when they're young. You know, you got to teach your kids. Sometimes I talk, my, my kids say something. I say, son, you shouldn't talk like that because you sound like an arrogant jerk. I'd like to say that to some adults, you know. He's like, well, I didn't say anything wrong. Yeah, but the spirit in which you said it was wrong. The way you said it was wrong. You're going to turn people against you. Look, we should be careful not to offend. But let me say this. We should be careful not to be easily offended. We should be careful not to be the person that's always offended. You say, how do I know if I'm someone who's always offended? Answer this question. Are you always offended? <laughs> I mean, if you, I got issues with, you know, 17 people in my life. There's only 17 people in your family, and you've got an issue with all of them. Maybe you're the common denominator. You ever thought about that? It's like, well, everybody, you know, I got a problem with everybody at work. Maybe you're the problem. If everyone's offending you, everyone's bothering you, Psalm 119, 165, notice what the Bible says, great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. People say, people, I mean, you, I, you know, one of these days I'm going to record, if I can, you know, if I can get the NSA to give me permission or something, one of these days I'm going to record just the, the things that people say to me at that door on Sunday morning. I mean, you'd be shocked. You know, just the rude things that people say. And, and here's the funny thing. They don't even know they're being rude. I mean, sometimes my wife and I have to chuckle because it's like, they don't even know they're being rude. They were just raised to be jerks. They were just raised by parents that never said no to them. They were just raised by parents that, ne- that never corrected them. They were just raised by parents that spoiled them. And unfortunately, that's just how they think. That's just how they, they speak. And you can't retrain a 50-year-old or a 40-year-old or a 30-year-old. But look. I, I, I try to never say, oh, you offended me. You know why? Because great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. I try, you see, you know, you, you, I'm going to tell you, I try to not be offended just because I try to love the, the, the law of God, and I try to love people. Go back to Pro, Proverbs 17. Let me give you another one. Proverbs 17. Number one, we should be careful not to offend. But number two, we should be careful not to be easily offended. And number three, let me say this. We should be careful to try to look past an offense when it does happen. Look, people are going to offend you, especially at churches like Verity Baptist Church. I mean, we got the same group of people that shows up generally. We have a lower attendance tonight, but generally we got the same group of people that show up Sunday, Sunday morning, they show up Sunday night, they show up Wednesday night, they show up Saturday soul winning, then they show up for all the other events, men's preaching night, ladies' tea, you know, all the other things we do around here. We spend a lot of time together. Eventually, we're going to start getting on each other's nerves. And we're going to start, you know, and look, if someone offends you, you got to do your best to look past it. Proverbs 17, look at verse 9. He that covereth, Proverbs 17, 9. He that covereth a transgression seeketh love. Somebody said, so-and-so offended me. Yeah, but, you know, just cover that thing and say, you know what? I'm going to seek after love. I'm going to love life and ensue peace. He that covereth a transgression seeketh love. Now notice, notice, but he that repeateth a matter separateth very friends. If you're the one that goes around saying, let me tell you what so-and-so did. Let me tell you what, you know, what she said. Let me tell you what he did. Look, you're not, you're not seeking love. You're trying to separate very friends. And by the way, this includes Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, I don't know, all the other stupid things out there that people like to waste their time on. And all of that. You know, I didn't tell anybody. I just did a blog post. Okay. He that covereth those transgressions seeketh love, but he that repeateth the matter separateth very friends. 
What can we learn from this story? Go, go back to 2 Samuel chapter 2. 2 Samuel chapter 2. Number one, here's what we learn. When brethren fight, everyone loses. When brethren fight, nobody wins. When brethren fight, the only people that win are the enemies of God. The only people that won in this chapter were the Philistines. And when you and I are fighting each other, the only one that wins is Satan and the world. And you and I lose, and the unbelieving world loses. Number two, when brethren fight, grudges are formed. And we ought to be careful not to offend, but we also ought to be careful not to be easily offended. And when we are offended, we ought to be careful to look past it, to forgive. Look, you know, there's so many people, you say, well, people are rude to me. Yeah, but here's the thing. How many times have I been rude to somebody? How many times did I say something that I didn't mean or I wasn't thinking or I, you know? And here's the thing. How, how often does God, how many times do I, for, do I offend God and he forgives me? So we ought to treat people the way we'd like to be treated. Number three, let me give you the last point that we can see from the story. I said, number one, when brethren fight, everyone loses. Number two, when brethren fight, grudges are formed. Number three, when brethren fight, it is better to stop sooner rather than later. When brethren fight, it is better to stop sooner rather than later. Are you there in 2 Samuel chapter 2? Look at verse 24. Joab and Abishai pursued after Abner. Remember, Abner just killed Asahel. And Joab and his other brother, Abishai, said, we're going to go get Abner. And they pursued after Abner, and the sun went down. They've been fighting all day. And when they were come to the hill of Amah, that lieth before Gaia, by the way of the wilderness of Gibeon, and the children of Benjamin gathered themselves together after Abner. Benjamin is the northern kingdom. In fact, Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin. They basically regrouped, and they took a high ground. They are in a hill of Amah, and they gathered themselves together and became one troop. And stood on the top of a hill. So they're, they're kind of ready for round two. They're on the top of a hill. They've regrouped. They're ready to fight. Joab comes with his men. But notice what Abner does. He's, he's finally, there's a, a voice of, of, of sensibility. 2 Samuel 2, 26. Then Abner called to Joab and said, Shall the sword devour forever? He said, Are we just going to fight forever? Knowest thou not that it will be bitterness in the latter end? He said, don't you know that nothing good can come from this, that nothing good comes for the work of God, for God's people when we're fighting each other? He says, knowest thou not that it will be bitterness in the latter end? How long shall it be then ere thou bid people return from following their brethren? He said, Job says, Abner says to Job, Job, I just, I just have a question. How long are you, you going to let this go on for? How long are you going to let a brother kill his brother? You won. We get it. You, you want round two? Notice Joab's response, verse 27. And Joab said, As God liveth, unless thou hadst spoken, surely in the morning the people had gone up, everyone from following his brother. You understand what he just said? Here's what he said. I was already planning on stopping the fighting tomorrow morning. But because you said this to me, we're going to go ahead and stop the fighting now. Notice verse 28. So Joab blew the trumpet, and all the people stood still, and pursued after Israel no more. Neither fought they anymore. Here's the question I have for Joab. If it's good to stop fighting your brothers tomorrow, why not do it today? If it's good to quit the fight tomorrow morning, why not quit the fight tonight? If you say, well, I'm going to ask forgiveness tomorrow. Well, why don't you ask forgiveness tonight? Well, I'm going to make the relationship good tomorrow or next week or next month or next year. But why don't you just do it now? Because here's what you need to understand. When brethren fight, no, nothing good comes from it. 
When brethren fight, grudges are formed that people keep for a long time. And when brethren fight, it's better to stop sooner rather than later. If you're going to quit fighting tomorrow, why don't you just quit fighting tonight? And he, and he says, well, I was planning on doing that tomorrow. He says, because you spoke. I'm going to go ahead and do it tonight. Can you make your way to Matthew chapter 5? Let me just give you a couple of verses. We're almost done. Matthew chapter number 5. Matthew chapter number 5. Look at verse number 23. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. Pastor Jimenez, don't you know we're independent fundamental Baptists? We're supposed to be fighting everybody. I, I think what we're supposed to be doing is furthering the Great Commission. And I think what we're supposed to be doing is winning souls, getting people baptized, and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. I may be wrong about that. I've only read my Bible a few times, but I'm pretty sure that's what God called us to do. And we're not supposed to be fighting each other. Matthew chapter 5, look at verse 23. Notice what Jesus said about it. He said, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, I like how Jesus says this. You can tell he's, uh, he's, he's thinking of preachers, you know. He says, if I bring thy gift to the altar, you're talking about an offering, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee. Notice, I like verse 24. He says, leave there thy gift. Don't take the gift. You go ahead and leave it there before the altar, and go thy way first, be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. He says, look, if you, you say, well, I'm going to bring this offering and I just remembered that I'm fighting with so-and-so. He said, well, leave the gift there. Don't, don't take the gift back. Because, you know, here's what I've learned about giving. You, you want people to just do it right then because if they have to think about it. They might not come back. You know what I mean? So he says, look, I, I, I leave the gift there, but go make it right with thy brother. Now, notice what he says in verse 25. Agree with thine adversary quickly. He said, look, make it right quickly. Do it fast. Whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. Go to the book of Ephesians. I don't know if you kept your place in 1 Corinthians. I asked you to keep your place in 1 Corinthians. But if you did, find 1 Corinthians and go past 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Notice what the Bible says. This is good advice for military. This is good advice for marriage. This is good advice for work. This is good advice for, for, for anyone. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26 says this, Be ye angry and sin not. Do you know that you can be angry and not sin? Be, being angry necessarily is not a sin. Now, here's the thing. Most of us, when we get angry, sin. And most of us, when we get angry, get real puffed up and start, you know, saying things we shouldn't be saying, calling people names we shouldn't be calling them. You know how you can preach the truth and not, you know, call people names and be mean and angry and rude about it? He says, be angry and sin not. But notice what he says. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. He says, if you're going to be angry, I used to have a pastor who used to say this, get glad in the same shoes you got mad in. Now, before you go home and take your shoes off and get in your pajamas, just go ahead and make that thing right. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Can you go, can you go back to 1 Corinthians? I'm going to give you a couple verses and we'll, we'll be finished up. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. We're just there. God, it, it's an urgent matter to God that we reconcile differences. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We, we just saw it, but I want you to see it again. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, look verse 10. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you speak the same thing, that's unity, and there be no divisions among you, 
but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in, 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 uh, in, in the same judgment. And it have been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I have Apollos, and I have Cephas, and I have Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Are we, are, were ye baptized in the name of Paul? And, and he goes on. But let me, let me just make this point. The book of 1 Corinthians is a book of correction to a church that's doing a lot of things wrong. And what's really interesting to me is that in the book of 1 Corinthians, in chapter number 5, he corrects fornication and adultery. That's a pretty big deal, wouldn't you say? I mean, fornication and adultery are a huge, huge deal, and he corrects it in chapter 5. In chapter 6, he corrects brethren taking each other, church members taking each other, suing each other, and taking each other to court. I mean, I think that's a pretty big deal. I think it'd be a big problem if, you know, Brother Vladi is suing Brother Stucky, you know what I mean? Or, you know, and they're like, well, we, you know, we're at church on Wednesday night, and tomorrow we're, I'll see you in court, brother. That's a big problem. This was going on in this church, and, and, and Paul corrects it in chapter 6. In chapter 7, he's correcting and helping people whose marriages are falling apart. And he's giving them advice in chapter 7. In chapter 11, he, he talks about the Lord's Supper. And people are taking the Lord's Supper inappropriately. And he corrects it. Now, here's what's interesting. He's got all these things he needs to correct. And he deals with it in chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 11. But in chapter number 1, he says, before I even get to the fornication, to the adultery, to the lawsuits, man, wait till we get there. You know, before I even get to the Lord's Supper, let me just talk about why are you guys fighting each other at church? Why are you fighting with the other brand? And here's, here's what that teaches us, is he puts a priority on that. It's a priority to God. It was a priority to Paul to deal with that first. Why? Because when brethren fight, it's better to stop sooner rather than later. When brethren fight, grudges are formed. So let's just try to cut that before that happens. When brethren fight, everyone loses. Go to the book of Romans. Romans. We're going to go to Romans. We're going to go to 2 Samuel. We'll be done. Romans chapter, Romans chapter number 16. And let me try to help you because some of you have wrong mentalities. You have wrong mentalities because we've been taught wrong. We've been brainwashed to think things that are not proper. Godliness is not fighting. Godliness is not, the, you know, there's a famous evangelist, John R. Rice. And I, I like John R. Rice. As far as, you know, there was definitely some things he, agreed, he believed that I don't agree with. But as far as I can tell, he was a good guy. He was saved. But John R. Rice had to, you know, he, he wrote The Sword of the Lord. And this is back when The Sword of the Lord was a little fiery, fighting newspaper. And John R. Rice had this saying. He said, you know, in three months, if no one's picked a fight with me, I'm going to pick a fight with someone. And he would basically write these articles and fight with people. Now, look, I like John R. Rice, but I don't think that's a proper attitude or statement. And people say, well, are we supposed to be fighting? Notice what the Bible says in Romans chapter number 16, verse number 17. Let me just give you one verse. Romans 16, 17, the Bible says this, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. Now look, we are supposed to mark those who cause, you know, so I'm not saying we should never name someone by name, or, you know, from time to time I'll get up here and I'll, 
say, you know, this person is wrong, this, this person is teaching this doctrine, or this person is thinking, teaching something that's not correct. You say, but why? Why do we do that? Here's, here's the reason why. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned. Here's why. To avoid them. So look, you know, and, and, and here's the thing. If people, and these people that have these TV ministries, you know, Joyce Myers comes to Sacramento and she's sending postcards to all of you and sending direct mail to me or whoever, these false prophets. Look, if they're trying to influence our church in a way that's contrary to the doctrines that we've learned and what the Word of God says, then yeah, from time to time we have to mark them and avoid them. And even, even people that physically come to our church, if they're trying to spread false doctrine or they're trying to you know, teach things that are wrong, from time to time we have to say, hey, so-and-so is wrong. They're not allowed to come back. And, and they're teaching false doctrine. You know, And we need to mark them and we need to avoid them. But here's the thing. We should not have John R. Rice's attitude where no one picks a fight with me in three months. I'm just going to pick a fight with someone. Look, if no one picks a fight with me, praise the Lord, because I want to get people saved and get people baptized and, and, and see people grow in grace. And, I, and you say, well, that's not as exciting. Yeah, but that's what God called us to do. And within church, we need to be very careful within our own church family and not be holding grudges and fighting and upset. And this person said this. Cover that thing and just move on. You say, well, they never asked to forget. Just move on. Because when brethren fight, everyone loses. And when brethren fight, grudges are formed. And when brethren fight, it's better to stop sooner rather than later. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 2. We'll finish up just to give you the context of what happened so we can be in chapter 3 next week. 2 Samuel chapter number 2. 2 Samuel chapter number 2. Look at verse number 29. We are to fight the good fight of faith. 2 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 29. Not every fight is a good fight. I just preached on that, so I won't go there. 2 Samuel 2.29. And Abner and his men walked all that night through the plain and passed over Jordan and went through all Bithron, and they came to Mahanaim, and Joab returned from following Abner. Here's the problem. Joab returned from following Abner, and when he had gathered all the people together, there lacked of David's servants 19 men and Asahel. So David lost 20 guys in this battle. But the servants of David had smitten Benjamin and of Abner's men, so that 303 score men died. That's 360. So one side loses 360 guys. The other side loses 20 guys. It's a decisive victory. And they took up Asahel and buried him in the sepulcher of his father, which was in Bethlehem. And Joab and his men went all night, and they came to Hebron at break of day. Let me go ahead and say this. You said, well, that was a success. They quit fighting. The point is not to quit fighting. It was not successful, and here's why. Because they quit fighting, yes, but they both went their separate ways. They just quit fighting to fight another day. And so often, even in church life, you know, it's like, well, fine, I'll quit fighting with this person. But it's like, yeah, but you didn't really make it right. The relationship's not really restored. You just kind of quit fighting just to fight another day. See, what should have happened is, you know, you say, well, well one side's got a side that's king, and the other side's got a side that's king, and these people say, I'm of Paul, and these people say, I'm of Apollos, and these people say, I'm of David, and these people say, I'm of Ishbosheth. but here's the point, God wanted one of them to be king, one of them was wrong, they shouldn't be fighting about it, they should just be inquiring of the Lord and asking God, which one do you want to be king, and then they should all follow that king, but instead they say, no, I'm going to stick with my guy, they say, well, they quit fighting, praise the Lord, but they went their separate ways. 
And God wanted these people to be united. These were God's people. They shouldn't be fighting each other. Nothing good comes from brethren fighting brethren. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer.